Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening in with us today on our podcast, For the Sake of the Child. Our podcasts are brought to you by the Military Child Education Coalition, whose work is focused on ensuring quality educational opportunities for all military-connected children affected by mobility, family separation, deployments, and transition. Here at the MSEC, we want to ensure that every military child is college, workforce, and life-ready. In our podcast, we will share your stories as we talk to military service members, professionals, parents, and military kids. Please like, share, and subscribe. And we appreciate your comments, questions, and ideas for topics that you would like to hear more about. All of us here at the For the Sake of the Child podcast would like to thank Kirtland Spouses Club for sponsoring today's podcast. We appreciate your generous support that allows us to not only share information and resources in this podcast, but also build connection through shared stories and experiences, providing military families and professionals tools to provide a convoy of support to military-connected children. Thank you for making a difference in the lives of military children. So we talked about this last week, but this summer at our national training seminar, the Military Child Education Coalition will convene multiple stakeholders at every level, students, parents, professionals, researchers, and key community leaders to continue to further explore how parents and multidisciplinary professionals can best support military-connected children throughout their education. The theme for our 2019 seminar is Exploring Convoys of Social Support, inspired by the 1980 publication by Tony Antonucci. In today's podcast, Dr. Shelley McDermott-Wadsworth and Dr. Patricia Lester will share their insights and perspective about leveraging military family strengths based upon their experiences from years of research and collaboration. Thanks for joining us today. Welcome to our podcast, For the Sake of the Child. My name is Tara Gleason, and I'll be your host today. Joining me is Dr. Shelley McDermott-Wadsworth, the Professor of Human Development and Family Studies at Purdue University, and Dr. Patricia Lester, a child and adolescent psychiatrist from UCLA. Thank you so much for joining us today. You're very welcome. So I want to start with how did your work and and interest begin with military-connected children and families? How did this come about? Sorry, I'll jump in and start. Uh, this is Shelley. I ha- am a work family researcher by training, so I really spent my whole career studying relationships between work conditions and family life. Um, the early part of my career, I focused on civilian workplaces and civilian communities, but through that work, I became aware that the military really was trying hard to be supportive of family life through its policies. And when an opportunity came along to Uh, create the Military Family Research Institute, I was eager to do it. And through that work, then became very engaged with thinking about military families. And then the war came along, and that made it even more important. So I've I've been hooked ever since. So this is Tricia. I am a child psychiatrist by training, but really my career has been focused on the development, evaluation, and dissemination of preventive interventions that – focus on promoting resilience in children and families, particularly those facing some kind of adversity. You know, early in my career, um, I had the opportunity to work with Vietnam-era veterans in a PTSD treatment program. And I was really struck at that time by the missed opportunity and really the long impact of combat trauma, untreated combat trauma on veterans, as well as their spouses and their children. So when 
post 9-11, when we began to refuse for some of our, within the military, um, child psychiatrists at Walter Reed, some of the service providers on active duty installations, saying we're really seeing in our children and that we haven't seen before. And we're seeing con- uh, circumstances that really we don't know how to address really seem like a, a huge prevention opportunity in need. And so 2003, 2004, um, I began a series of consultations with active duty populations and with some healthcare providers in the military and really started to think about what we knew, what we didn't know, what was needed to help prevent um, some of the things we'd seen with prior wars, and how to really help families navigate these challenges. So that leads me into my next question. How do you identify the unmet need to support military-connected children? Some of the, the ways that we started was really to start by uh, learning what was happening on the ground, learning from children and themselves, the literature and understanding what we knew, but what we didn't know because of the new context of this war. I'm going to pass it back to Shelley. I think one of the important things is that we have to be very mindful about what we do know and what we don't know. And I note with interest Trisha's description of how she did consultations and listening and what people were telling her. I think for us as well, uh, as we started to interact, more with children and learn more about what they were saying and and what their parents were saying, that gave us a sense, as well as paying attention to the research literature, but we try to come to these issues without making assumptions in advance. We don't assume that military children are qualitatively different from other children. We don't assume that they're in a different species. and and we don't assume they're the same either. And we don't assume that every kid is the same. So we just really try to be open to what we see, what we're told, what the evidence tells us, and to try to think through needs and opportunities in that way. Yeah, and I think like Shelley, those kinds of questions and, and that kind of approach really catalyzed a series of both research investigations as well as a way of thinking about adapting what we do know about and how to support families in other contexts and how to make that relevant, uh, culturally relevant, uh, developmentally relevant to military kids and families. So I think those early consultations and early review of the literature, in fact, I remember um, early when I uh, began this work, looking at Shelley's uh, uh, research um, on military families and really um, starting to understand the limitations of the literature at the time. Um, but that, that kind of open approach um, and really started, uh, I think, a cascade of being an iterative uh, uh, research strategies and development of practices in collaboration with our military partners and with military families themselves. So can you expand a little more of, what, of some other things you've learned along your journey? So you've talked a little bit about the beginning. What else has come to play throughout your journey? 
I think one of the things that is so apparent in this population, I'm sure it's true for others as well, but military families, I think it's especially uh, evident that you really have to think from a systems perspective. Children are parts of families, and those families are systems, but the military um, is made up of systems as well. And most military families live in civilian communities, and so those children uh, are touching lots of other organizations uh, and communities, and their schools and teachers, and there's so many touch points around these children and families that it's uh, foolish to think that um, DOD or VA can do everything that needs to be done and that they're the only entities that are involved in responding to these needs. So in our work for quite a while, we've really tried to think very hard about how we can um, alert and educate and motivate and mobilize a variety of kinds of community systems to work better around military families so we're not constantly telling military families, oh, you need to be better at managing this or you need to be smarter about how to find that. If we can make systems work better around them, then it's going to be easier for them to do what they need to do. And I would uh, very much agree with that. I think Shelley's framed how we start intervention work as well in terms of integrating it into systems. Uh, since 2008, our team has, has led a large-scale implementation of the resilience-enhancing focus, which for families overcoming under stress. And we did that initially for Navy Medicine and the Marine Corps, and now uh, for the Office of Secretary of Defense. And it's really tiered public approach to prevention. So we use a suite of services based on the same um, evidence-based core components, really giving families an, an opportunity to assess this kind of information and skill development um, in a way that makes sense for them uh, in terms of the timing, um, the context, the system, and I'll give an example of that. We do large group workshops um, around deployment cycles. We have mobile delivery and web-based delivery platforms. We have in skill groups for children, uh, for school age and adolescents, as well as families and couples. And we do that inside of schools, um, in community centers, really in places where families work and live. And the idea there is, is to really um, address, I think, the continuum between universal support children and families and the need for uh, more intensive treatment. And I think that was the missing piece that now has started to fill in as the military's really invested in supporting families. So that that's one big lesson. I think another big lesson is that we really need to leverage systems to support relationships. You know, uh, teachers are able to support parents and kids so that parents can support each other, uh, so that we can strengthen relationships between parents and children on and over time. And so really our approach has been to target the skills that support those relationships, whether it's emotional regulation or awareness skills, patient skills, problem solving, 
Um, and then I think the final lesson I, w- I would bring into this conversation is that we really need to challenge some of the we have between between education, between healthcare and mental health, between social service providers, and really think about ways to work across those um, to children and families. And I think that's true in civilian settings, but in many ways uh, for military children and families, those opportunities are um, are really. Unique, and that there's there are systems of support already in place, so that we can build those connections. And I think we've been able to model within the military um, uh, uh, for that will be relevant to civilian settings too. So we know that military children have amplified needs, and that they have certain scenarios like separations, frequent relocations. Also, their their parent or service member may be danger. How have these type of scenarios influenced your work and in in what you've done? Well, the, the, those things certainly are very important. I mean, those major features of military life, separations, relocations, um, serving when there's danger, injuries, all of that. And, you know, the, the, the idea of separations or the issue of separations really was thrown into sharp relief recently when children and their parents were separated at the border and there was a lot there were lots of stories in the news about how traumatic that can be for children of course um compared to parental deployment many of those children were not separated from their parents for very long so there was great sensitivity uh for that period of time about separation but i i i challenged the idea just a little bit that um military children have amplified challenges. We we think they do. There's good reason to think that they do. Um, but the evidence is actually kind of mixed. And it might be more correct to say that military children are exposed to challenges, uh, but in many cases they do um, they do quite well. And so the challenge is trying to figure out for which children, under which conditions, are we likely to see which kinds of problems? Um, military children benefit from many of the things that we wish all children could have. They have an employed parent. They uh, have income in their home. They have access to health care. They have access to uh, high-quality child care and military child development centers in many cases. Those are all really great things that we would wish for all children. But they are exposed to these really worrisome and prolonged um, separations and, uh, and, and the relocations. One of the things also to really keep in mind is that the consequences of those things may not be apparent uh, in the short term they may become more apparent in the long term. And I think I'm jumping ahead a little bit to a question that uh, you wanted to to get to, but in our work, uh, we have really been thinking about this and and we're gonna be launching a study later this year, Tricia and I together, to look at children who are now adolescents but who were exposed early in their lives to a lengthy parental separation due to a wartime deployment. 
And our goal is to just check in on these children and see how they're doing, to see if there's been any disruption in their developmental progression uh, as a result of that early exposure. We think the answer very well may be no. We hope it's no. Um, but for some children, it might be yes. And if that's the case, then we'd like to understand more about why the answer is no often, why the answer is yes sometimes, uh, and can we generate any ideas from that work that would help us then help the Department of Defense and other organizations do more to help families prepare so that those downstream consequences might be minimized. So can you speak directly to what military families, like what can families do in in those contexts to help develop those skills to overcome the challenges and not over only overcome them but also thrive? So do you have some specifics just towards families? Well, Tricia, I'm sure, can talk about some of the specific skills that they treat, teach uh, in focus that are things that very much families can do. But there are some really important things always to remember. Um, parents, as you well know, are um, their children's most important teachers. And so separations and relocations and other things are great opportunities for parents to model constructive coping for their children. And if parents are doing relatively well and coping in constructive ways, then that, a lot, to a large extent, uh, what children will learn and what children will do. So that's one good thing um, that families can do that will be very helpful to children. And it, it's a little bit like that airline instruction about put on your own mask before helping others. Um, take care of your own mental health, take care of your own well-being, and that's going to make you far better able to model for your child um, what it is you need to know. Um, families also can become educated. A lot of parents have imperfect understandings of the capabilities developmentally of their children at different ages. They underestimate, for example, the degree to which very young children can understand someone going off away from the home for a long period of time. Sometimes parents feel immobilized by a child expressing negative emotion. They don't quite know what to do with it. Those are things that parents can learn to deal with that will make it um, make children feel much safer and much more comfortable and confident as they deal with these challenges. And I know Tricia works on some specific skills and focus that families really can learn to do with their children. Absolutely. I think that um, to go back to the initial question about specific uh, separation and concern about uh, uh, well-being in the context of danger, particularly during wartime service, I think we had uh, quite a bit, shall we say, that the the, there's, a, there's still a lot to be learned um, in terms of the longitudinal impact of some of these uh, separations and family should occur in wartime. I think one of the most striking things is really the this kind of vigilance about safety and danger that we see in kids um, as parents are deploying to war and also in partners or spouses as in the family system and the kind of impact that may have on communication um, patterns within the family um, and how 
how having tools and information to address um, what what families are dealing with, having those in the hands of parents, for instance, um, can really help mitigate um, some of the stress and worry in children. So an example would be, I think very often four, five-year-old children have really questions about safety and danger in their minds, um, but there's not an opportunity to bring those up within a family. And in fact, parents either may not have awareness that a child's thinking about these things or that a child so young could have those kinds of concerns, but they also may be having a hard time themselves uh, talking about uh, these issues because they have their own fears and worries they're dealing with. So I think it's really important to get um, developmentally specific information to uh, families and particularly parents so that they can open up these conversations and then they can model positive coping in the way that Shelley was just describing. And that's, those are some of the ways that we work with families is really to help them have a communication plan, have them have language where they can bring these issues up and have them be an open conversation. And then also a, a, just a plan for how they're going to stay engaged, for instance, during employment and how they're going to reintegrate as a family. And then if there there is, um, you know, combat issues or uh, trauma exposure, exposure issues that people are dealing with, so if, if a service member comes back uh, with traumatic stress symptoms or with traumatic brain injury, then it's really important for families to be able to have the information they need to talk about the impact of those symptoms uh, and those changes on relationships and family functioning, and to be able to communicate to children what's happening, um, why they're experiencing those changes, so that they don't feel themselves responsible uh, for some of the disruptions in families, and so that they can all be planning together uh, how to manage uh, what we refer to as traumatic reminders. I think a great example of that is you know, a family who may may not be able to go on outings or even to the grocery store or a big superstore uh, because it's really stressful for a service member who may be managing traumatic actions to be in big, noisy public spaces. But for them to be able to have a plan for how they're going to support each other and how to explain what's happening, particularly for a young child or even an adolescent, is really empowering for families, and I think uh, goes to this issue of how do we model, and even when we're dealing with adverse change, um, and how do we together as a family unit to uh, get through this and to thrive. So let's let's wrap up with: Is there any final? So you made mention of some ways that parents should be having age-appropriate conversation. Do you have any? tools or strategies or resources available to parents that you would recommend to start those kind of conversations or that parents could go to if they're seeking out help? Well, one of the resources that I really love are the um, Sesame Workshop videos that were created for military families dealing with a variety of issues. And and they have um, similar videos um, dealing with um, families in general, and 
and a variety of issues. But for military folks, they did one on families in which a service member has been injured, families where someone was deployed, where someone has died. And they've done, I think, another series now on relocation. Um, they're marvelous in terms of modeling for parents how to respond when children come up with those um, negative emotions. Our, I think our immediate tendency is to say to a child, oh, no, you're not angry at daddy, or it'll be okay. And we're trying to be really supportive. We're trying to keep that child from feeling pain. But in a way, what we're doing is minimizing. We're not hearing them. We're not embracing them. But it's so scary, I think, for parents and painful to think that their child is having these thoughts. And the Sesame videos, they're great to watch with your kids. They're great to learn from. They're short, um, very constructive and, and strength-based. And I know uh, through Focus, um, Trisha's folks also have all kinds of resources um, for families. I, I'm particularly fond of the feelings thermometer and the feelings boxes. <laughs> there's there's such, uh, I think, a wealth of information. I, if anything, it may be challenging for families to navigate and to you know, pick the right. If I agree about the Sesame Street uh, tools, those are amazing for families with young children. The National Child Traumatic Stress Network has an array of uh, tools and information for parents, for teachers, who with military kids or, or for military families themselves. Military OneSource has uh, tools as well. The specific kinds of questions you're getting at, the kind of sort of how to communicate at different ages. Uh, we have some of those available on our website and through our mobile app, which is called Focus on the Go. Um, so I, I think that there are many no tools now available that weren't there 10 years ago, I think, to help people manage. And then most, you know, there's also a, a wealth of information for schools, some of which have emerged out of the Welcoming Practices initiative that was run out of USC with uh, building capacity for military-connected kids and families inside of schools and how schools can create welcoming environments, not only for connected children, but really for all children. Thank you. I, I, I hadn't heard about Focus. I'm so happy to that you've introduced that, and we will put the link down in our show notes so that our listeners can link to that and see some of the resources that you're talking to. And we're actually going to be doing a podcast with Sesame in April, the month of the military child. So they'll hear some directly from Sesame too. So we know that they have great tools for military families. I want to thank you both for joining us today. And thank you to all of our listeners for listening. Please like, share, and subscribe. And we appreciate your comments, questions, and ideas for topics that you would like to hear more about. If you want to hear more from Dr. Shelley McDermott-Wadsworth or Dr. Lester, register to attend our national training seminar in Washington, D.C. I will put the link to register down in our show notes, along with all the other links that Dr. McDermott and Dr. Lester shared during today's podcast. This podcast has been made possible because of the generous support from the Kirtland Spouses Club. I want to thank you again for listening to our podcast, For the Sake of the Child. We would like to invite you to visit our website at www.militarychild.org. 
Like the MSEC on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Please join us again next time as we share more stories that impact our military-connected kids.